What's happening, guys? Welcome back to the show. It's another Monday here on the Popcorn Talk Network talking about one of the actual greatest films ever made. It's The Shining. Get excited. Get scared. It's a spooktacular episode. We'll see you guys in a second. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's action movie anatomy. Ooh! Since uh, when is there a, 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 like a bald eagle in our intro? It's about freedom, man. It's all about freedom. Yeah, since when? Since when do we have a, a bald eagle in our intro, Ryan? I don't give a damn. I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm not pumped upset up. about it. I'm pumped up, uh, guys. We're back. It's Monday. It's Action Movie Anatomy. We got a very, very full show in a packed house today. A sexy intro, a bald eagle, and starting on the opposite side of the table, somebody who looks. Strikingly similar to myself, except with glasses on, Mr. Brandon, the hitman, Hannah. Thank you, thank you. I believe you actually meant, but more handsome, but I'll take the glasses. As You've well. been on camera long enough, Brandon. Um, you <laughs> said enough. <laughs> Andrew Guy, the uh, co-creator, co-host, co-producer, uh, also almost as handsome as Brandon. There, what is happening? Almost. What was that spooktacular <laughs> little intro you gave? Oh, yeah, I've been working on that for a few weeks. That was pretty cool, right? A few weeks. The spooky. That's, that's, <laughs> Are I'm you frightened? I Ooh. am impressed. I'm impressed that you've done that for, uh, you spent weeks doing that. Yes. It really paid off. Yep. It was a good use of your time. I was hurt for a long time. I had a lot of time on the couch, just a lot of thinking. I, I thought about what, this episode. I know what I'm going to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, so there was, so like, we had this friend Landon. Uh, oh, and God. Uh, that's where that that's where that voice came from, right? And so we had this friend Landon who was part of an improv troupe called Power Up. I don't know if they still perform or not. I don't know, but he might be one of the greatest improvisers ever. He's like unbelievably hilarious. He's one of these people, guys, that like it's hard to explain to you how creatively funny this guy was. Uh, just just in, amazing. Yeah. And the guy actually in that group that got like sort of famous is our friend Johnny who's the voice of Lucio in Overwatch, and he's got uh, a show on Netflix it's now. Called, uh, he's like Sace Manos. Yeah. I think his character's name is. It's like, like an animated show with mm-hmm. Danny Trejo. But, but anyway, uh, Landon used to, there was like this one bit I remember on one of their live shows where it was like a haunted house during like Halloween. Yeah. And like some kids were in there and he was like, <laughs> like, like there's an empty room. Does that scare you? <laughs> they were like, what? And he's like, ooh, are you frightened? <laughs> and he kept, <laughs> you just fall around kept, the whole way. He's like the voice in the haunted house. I always just thought it was really funny. And so uh, I hadn't thought about it in a while. But you guys like, got spooked. That, yeah, everyone was scared. When's the last time you went to a haunted house? <sighs> or like a haunted thing? Oh, like oh, a hayride? No, or no. Like Halloween Horror Nights? Or... I went through, um, a, like at the, the Jackson Estate last Halloween, there was a party I went to. Michael Jackson's? You just went to? Yeah, uh, his... One of his sons? I feel like I could make a joke, but I'm not going to. I'm trying to remember. Th- there was one of the Jacksons. He's a he's a big Screen Junkies fan. I went. Thank it. Wait. <laughs> nope. <laughs> uh, I'm hoping I'm saying it correctly. I was there, I remember, and it was like they built a huge uh, haunted house on the property all through the house. Okay. And it was like a, they spent a lot of money and time. It was like a big deal. There was people in there and all kinds of crazy scares, and it took like 10, 15 minutes to get through the whole thing. It was fun. Um, yeah, it was cool. I mean, I'm I'm not like traditionally a big Halloween guy. Like, I'm not. Like, I don't dress up usually. I don't like get scared. You know, I don't watch scary movies. Yeah, but uh, it was fun. Like, I anytime I'm exposed to it, I do enjoy it. So, what about you, Hannah? When was the last time you went to a, a haunted event? I actually went to Halloween Horror Nights in Orlando last weekend. Okay, mm, yeah. okay. How was that? It was awesome. How is Universal in Orlando? Was it better than here? It's it's different. I think it's I think it's better. I okay. think especially the Halloween Horror Nights, they put a little more into it over there. But, Interesting. Uh, I mean, you can't beat the whole studio tour and everything. Right, right, right. Yeah, I do, one, do love that. Um, so, guys, we are here today to talk about probably a movie that has been referred to as the scariest movie of all time many times, and yeah. that's The Shining, Stanley Kubrick's 1980 flop that turned out to be 
God, it almost feels like his most enduring movie other than 2001 Space Odyssey. Yeah, it's weird. I mean, I was talking to Jeff Graham out uh, before we started the show, and he was saying his is Dr. Strangelove. He's he's like, you can skip 2001, honestly. You really can. And then, you know, we were talking a little bit about Full Metal and, and how that movie is kind of... It's just very dark. There's yeah. a lot, I mean, he, he's a he's a very dark director, and I think this is kind of one of those things where after, you know, the flop that he had just come off of, he was like, I need to make a movie yeah. that is more appealing to the general audience, and this is kind of what The Shining is, but it there's so much master class filmmaking yeah. in this movie that it's shocking to me that it, it was not received well when it came out. Yeah, there, I have, like, so many thoughts about this. There's so many things I want to talk about. So I, I want to get our quick shout-outs out of the way. And that's the first thing is I want to give a thank you and shout-out to a couple new patrons. They're actually, not new patrons. They've mm-hmm. been patrons for a while. But we are shouting them out officially here. And that is Mike Deacon and Garth McMurray. So, guys, uh, big, big salute to you, members of the Action Army. Also, at the same time, just because it feels appropriate... I want to give a big shout out to Jeremiah Morris and Brian Chandler, yep. Miss Movies, five star generals. Just you know, it's the highest level of generalship you can be. It's the greatest honor of my life to have you as our five star generals. Yeah, so I want to just give a quick salute there yeah. as well at the top of the show. Um, but yeah, we traditionally cover action movies on the show. That's the weird part, right? We yeah. just decided. When I had a big conversation with you, Drew, when we got to watch this together about the difference in the movies we decide to cover now versus the movies we would have covered two or three years ago. Mm-hmm. And it's weird that like. Back two or three years ago, we would never have considered The Shining. It was so far from an action movie in our mind that we just didn't feel like faithful. But we covered a lot of really shitty action movies on this show that like weren't that much fun to talk about. Versus like this, which has a lot of exciting action in it, it's just a really great movie, so it's way better to cover. Yeah, it's really interesting, right? Because it's a Halloween episode, and we're not doing an action movie. And honestly, even though The Shining is a horror movie, it's really not that scary anymore. Maybe yeah. because you've seen it so many times, or maybe just because it's aged, even though it's aged really well. It, it, it's really interesting, because this is the type of movie where we're kind of just doing it because it's phenomenal. And it's around the same genre of what you would watch at Halloween, even though it doesn't really feel like a horror movie that you'd watch today, like Midsummer or something like that. It doesn't adhere to any of our basic rules. No. Uh, you know, the hero always plays by their own rules. The hero and the villain are always the smartest people in the room. Driven by police, military, political, or mercenary figure, or a Who is the hero? Explosion. Danny? Is it Danny? I would say it's probably Danny. Yeah. Yeah? yeah? Feels like it. I mean, I, I guess it's I guess it's Danny and his mom, but it is mm-hmm. Danny, because he's the one that you're, like, rooting for. He's yeah. got the shinin. He's got you know. the shinin. <laughs> uh, so anyway, guys, that's kind of the, the intro to what we're doing here on the show. If you want to follow along with anything that we're doing here, there's a few places you can follow us. You get Brandon Hanna 07 over here. Do you wish now, in retrospect, that you had written Brandon Hanna 007? Oh, no, it's, it's God, that's so cool. <laughs> it's too on the nose. Yeah, okay, yeah. People it, look at you and they think they think James Bond, and then if you wrote it, it would be just too much. Yeah. Is there some guy yeah. in Nebraska that has Brandon Hanna? Secretly, just the normal one, the, the plain one. <laughs> Brandon really wanted it, but he like couldn't get it. God damn it. All right, what's my favorite number? Uh, Mr. Andrew Guy. That's me. Yeah, you can find me at Andrew Guy on Instagram, Twitter. Make sure to check us out at Team Action Show on Twitter. And we talked about it a little bit already, so we'll talk about it a little bit more. Patreon.com slash Team Action. It's the best place to follow along with everything that we do. Stay tuned. There's some pretty exciting Patreon stuff we're going to be talking about a little later in the show. You guys can follow me at Ben Bateman Media, Twitter, Instagram, all the places, and any of the action things that we do. Yeah. Uh, at, we're Action Industries everywhere. YouTube.com slash Action Industries uh, on Instagram. The only one that's not is the Twitter, because it was the original one. It's at Team Action Show. Mm-hmm. Uh, go follow those places. Let us know that you're watching. Leave your comments thoughts below. Coming up today on the show, we're going to be talking about our thesis statements, our fist pump moments. 
uh, aptly renamed in this one our oh shit moments. Yeah, it's, uh, the shining. things get really real. You know, favorite line. We are going to be talking about the first movie we ever saw that freaked us out, that really scared the hell out of us. Um, and as I mentioned, we will be talking about a very special, exclusive Patreon perk later in the show. So stay tuned for that. I think we should get straight into thesis statement about this movie. Yeah, I think so. Um, go ahead. Sorry, I'm excited. The Shining is the most enduring horror movie ever made. Okay. I thought you were going to introduce the segment. Uh, <laughs> yes. All right. I'll, I'll, let's but back up for a second. We already had the oohs and the ahs. <laughs> it's really hot in here. If you know, it is that? very warm in here. I feel like we'll I'm get sweating. the AC on. It's yeah. been it's been oh, very, oh, very really? warm in LA Ryan, for like the last AC week. is not on right now. No, I'll put it on right now. Why would you do that to us, Ryan? <laughs> you want to make us look like fools? Uh, hot in there. That's Ryan Nelson, who's up in the booth. He's yep. actually over there in the booth. We always say we always say up there. There's nothing up there. It's like we're talking to the Lord, but Ryan's actually just there. Might lateral. Be uh, uh, so yes, the, 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 the segment is called Thesis Statement. It's your biggest, boldest thought about the film. If the movie comes up in a conversation, it's really, you say to somebody, this is the thing about The Shining, mm-hmm. and then you kind of end your statement, and it's like, <laughs> drop the mic. What do you have to say about that? And that's, that's why my statement is that The Shining is the most enduring horror movie ever made. I was thinking about some of the other movies you could put in the category, some of the other movies you compare it to, because we had a whole conversation about the most iconic, right? Like, yeah, and that's actually something that could just be fun to talk about anyway. It's yeah. like, what is, the, what is the most iconic horror movie ever made? But uh, continue with your thought. I mean, I think if you, if you think about the franchises, the ones that have been remade constantly, right? You've, you've got Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, mm-hmm. and Friday the 13th. They're yep. like the big four that have gotten like, remade a bunch of times. And yep. I wouldn't say that any of the originals or remakes stand above The Shining. The also, Exorcist is another big one. The Exorcist, Alien, Rosemary's Baby. You go to back like, way back. You, stuff like stuff like Freaks. Like there's you know Nosferatu. Like there's movies like that. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, when I think about horror and I watch this movie, watching this movie feels like watching a masterpiece, like a true masterpiece of film. Like in a way that only a few of the movies we just mentioned would actually qualify. Halloween's great. Halloween's kind of campy. It's yeah. a little dated. You know, Alien's fantastic. Alien's great. It's on the same level as this, but like that's one of the only ones I can think of where I watch it and I go like, this is iconic and masterful in a way that's so different than most horror movies that are good. I mean, people the, the original The Grudge or Saw or yep. like Hostel, these movies that got a lot of hype. You know, Blair Witch. None of those feel at all like The Shining. You watch this movie and you're watching. He's literally taking like a fucking canvas. He's taking the actors and all of the shapes and images and colors, and he's made this thing that you can't take your eyes off of. Every scene is perfect. It's so intentional. It's this ideal place in Kubrick's career, too, where he's already made so many movies. You feel like he has such an understanding of filmmaking. Truly. Like, it feels like it has... The opening shots in this movie... The yeah, opening... even just the establishing, tracking, like, location shots are unbelievable, especially for the time. It's not a drone. It, we like, have drones. He goes past that island uh, in the very first shot and then tracks around with the car, and you're like, I feel like I'm watching something that's made with CGI right now. I feel like these have to be fake because this is 1980, and I can think of movies from, like, 1977, 1978 that look like shit compared to this. They, yeah. look, they look like they're made in the 40s compared to this. Like, like this, a child made it compared to this. Yeah, like, this, the, some of the shots in this movie look like somebody today was going for a period piece and made The Shining right now. That's what this movie feels like watching to me. It's that perfect. So it is the most enduring. It will continue to be the most enduring horror movie ever made. That's my thesis. I like it. What do you guys have? What do you got, Brandon? Um, I'm going to have to say that I think The Shining is one of, if not the most meticulously made horror films or films in general that's ever been made. I mean, you go back, the production of this movie is infamous for what Kubrick did. Like you said, every shot is insanely intentional. 
Um, even people speculate, like, even the position of the soup cans in, like, the kitchen were, yeah. mm. like, deliberately placed there. Um, he made the actors take hundreds of takes for even the most simplest scenes. Like, um, that, that one moment that's, like, a meme of, like, Scatman Carruthers, like, in the bed with, like, his eyes, like, yeah, open, yeah, yeah. and he's, like, freaking out because he's seeing what's going on at the hotel through The Shining. And uh, I think I heard that that scene was well over 100 takes. Wow. To the point so where crazy. actors had, like, <laughs> mental breakdowns like on set. David Fincher status stuff. Yeah. yeah like, or worse, maybe. I don't even know. Uh, wow. Yeah. It's, and then the way the, the treatment of Shelley Duvall through all that and the way Kubrick just kept pushing her and pushing her and making her do all these different takes and treating her poorly on set just to get that one perfect reaction out of her for every single take. Makes you wonder, it's like, insane. how a child actor would, would fare in a situation like that. Like, the, the actor that plays Danny, I wonder yeah. what that's like. Having Apparently, to do... he took it very well, but all the adults were... <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, I mean, because you got to yeah. think, as a kid, you're... I mean, this, this is a kid. You're playing. You're, you're going play, to play makeup all day long, make-believe all day long here in this beautiful, the coolest place you could ever play. Yeah. Whereas, like, as an adult, especially as people that are as established as these two, they probably want to blow their goddamn brains out. But... That's like why you you get what you get out of Shelly. Right. Even though some people don't like what you get out of Shelly. I, I love it. I yeah. think she's great. I'm actually shocked that she got the Razzie nomination for this movie. It surprises yeah. me. I think she won. And I, and I you can it's see it. You can <laughs> yeah. see that she's actually losing her mind yeah. in those takes. Like, and that's the only way to do it. And there's a lot of directors that are known to do things like that. Fincher's known to do that. Tarantino's known to do yeah. weird things like that. So I mean, uh, her hair was falling out on set from the stress of shooting the scenes. Wow. It was like so enduring and traumatizing which is so sad that she ended up kind of getting shit on for her performance yeah. seriously i mean that's like she plays real terror in the scene i don't know how people can say that she's like no. yeah think she's play, like bad acting she's like going she's nuts actually horrified there i would be yeah. Yeah. yeah jack's so scary in the scene so good uh so my uh my thesis is is that no director has ever used a set so well in a film and has because of that has become such an integral character in the movie. The set itself has. So, just to reiterate what that was, no director has used a location or set piece the same way or in a better way than Stanley Kubrick did in The Shining. And because of that, the hotel itself becomes the most important character in the movie. 100%. It's, it, it's the only character... It's the only character in the film that every single scene it's in, no matter what's happening, you can't stop paying attention to it. You never yeah. get bored. You're never, like, put off by it. You're, you don't ever feel like you have it figured out. You don't know where it's going. The whole entire time, the hotel keeps you confused. And, I mean, I, I, like, like, the stuff that I noticed in this movie that was, like, the most mind-blowing to me was, you know, you see the blood coming out of the elevator. And I remember, like, when you go in the bathroom, that's the white and red bathroom. And even just the shapes of the red versus white, it's, yeah. like, intentionally made to imitate the shot of the blood coming out of the corner. And you're like, wow. He just, in his mind, was like, I'm going to shoot this, and I want it yeah. to look like this. It needs to be painted this color at this angle. These have to be yeah, perfectly the, straight. This, I mean, even just this bathroom. Like, the bathroom is so perfectly the color design on every single room with the reds and the greens and the whites and the offset. It's just... It's brilliant. Like, you you literally cannot... It's like art. It's it's a piece of art after a piece of art. Every single frame Every shot, in this yeah. is a piece of art. And that's one of the things... That's actually the thing that stood out the most, or stood out the most when we watched this, was like, yes, Stanley Kubrick is, is a master, and he tells a good story here, and it's scary, and Jack's great, and Shelley does a good job, and Danny's wonderful, but it's really just about the way that Stanley painted this picture for us to watch yeah it's it's unbelievable and the amount of tracking shots the amount of long tracking shots that you you start to not even notice because every scene feels yeah. like one 
I mean, even the introduction of Scatman Carruthers to to Danny and to Jack and them. Yeah. It's it's an incredibly beautifully shot scene. Yeah, I was thinking about like some of the stuff that you see, like you know, when they're in the hotel and and, and they're walking through, and the camera's panning over, and it passes through like a column, and they're walking on the other side of the column, mm-hmm. and as they're passing through, there's like the guys that are working, and there's like the guy with the mop, and you're like. Yeah, so like you, it's the same way you do with you know like the Birdman, the Revenant style stuff, where you're like, we're gonna, this is gonna take like a minute twenty. So at the point that I hit this, you have to be sweeping here, you've got to be yep. mopping here, you have to be doing this exactly at this angle because we'll be coming like this. We come out of here. I want your arm here. You need to be looking here. It's so intentional. It's crazy. I this is the fourth time I've seen this movie. I think third or fourth, and I really didn't understand or notice just quite the level until this time. I, I couldn't take my eyes off it. The yeah. last time I watched it, those tracking shots were the things that blew me away. This time. It's every scene. I mean, the way the hotel's lit, it's just, it's crazy. So, yeah. it sounds like we're all in awe of The Shining. Now, you have actually, am I correct in understanding you've stayed at this hotel before? So, um, the hotel that inspired Stephen King to write the book is the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado. Okay. It's not where they shot any of the scenes for the movie. Yeah. It's actually really interesting. Like, a lot, all of the interiors for the hotel in the movie, I think, were all on sound stages. Mm-hmm. Interesting. And then the exterior was a different hotel. Um, but they also um, made like a set of the exterior of the hotel in a different location and shot scenes there. And like everything about the hotel is extremely deliberate, like, like we kept talking about, yeah. which is absolutely insane. But yeah, I've stayed at the Stanley Hotel. I've stayed there three times. Interesting. And I've actually, I've stayed in room 217, which has changed to room 237 in the movie, huh. which is the one that that Stephen King stayed in that inspired him to, to write everything. Why? Yeah, yeah wow. is there something about it? And and what was she like, man? <laughs> <laughs> what was the lady like in the bathtub? Did it freak you out a little bit? It was, it was, it was, Seeing her? I mean, it was a little <laughs> freaky. I mean, I... Uh, Answer the question, yeah. brother. <laughs> <laughs> she was marvelous. Um, no, actually, I was, I was terrified to go to that bathtub. But... Uh, yeah. Yeah, actually... And, and, I mean, there's just so much to go into. Um... But like, um, like I, I said to you, mentioned to you guys, you know, before the show that like, actually in Dumb and Dumber, the hotel that Harry and Lloyd stay at, mm. they actually sh- that that hotel is the Stanley Hotel in Estes Park, Colorado. You're talking about the one at the end where where they stay, where he's yes. in the bar waiting for her at eight in the morning. Yes, when he's at the bar, that's that's the bar. <laughs> yeah, that's. Um, and uh, and Jim Carrey actually stayed in room two seventeen when they were filming that movie. And really was scared out in the middle of the night. What does he say? Aspen, where the beer flows like wine. Yeah, Aspen, <laughs> where the beer and and the, and the women flock to the men like the wild salmon of Capistrano or something like that. <laughs> yeah, you know when he sees the moon landing oh, picture on the God. wall. Like the, we're the, going to the moon. Yeah, that's in. That's there. That's that's in, that's the, in there. That's, that's in the actual bar. I want to do an episode of AMA on. Dumb and Dumb. I like how I'm more excited about the fact that Dumb and Dumber was shot yeah. there than about yeah. The Shining being like well, what, inspired. I think, I think we talked about it on a stream, right? It was on a stream, not on the show. What's that? How excited we both were to do the best, the, the ten best comedies of the nineties oh, episode. Yeah, yeah. We like realized that that's like something we should do on the Action Guys, and got so pumped up about having the conversation. I think like. I can already almost think of the 10, and I just want that to be like a two-hour episode. Oh, yeah. I actually think almost that should be a two-hour Super Chat stream, because people love those comedies so much. Just, just stay and talk about it. Maybe we should just do that. Think about that. I mean, like, it, I feel like people would be more excited to be able to interact with us, uh, to talk about, like, Dumb and Dumber and Tommy Boy and Austin Powers 1 and Wayne's World and Office Space and, like, yeah. right? Like, those movies are Happy Gilmore, Billy Madison, Ace Ventura. These movies are so fucking classic. 
Uh, anyway, sorry. Now we're talking. We're supposed to make this. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, all right. So anyway, uh, good work. Good work, guys. Good. Good work. Good <laughs> job. Well done. Uh, let's get into our oh shit moment. That's kind of the moment in this movie specifically. We're changing it from fist pump to oh shit. We're. Oh shit. Oh shit. Y- oh, shit. Look at that. Like oh, that. Shit. oh shit. Wow. Aha. We should just listen to that song. <laughs> now. Uh, it's kind of the moment in, in The Shining specifically where you look around, because we all know it so well, it might not be that scary to you, but there still are moments in this that kind of scare the shit out of me. And you, and you, you look around, we looked at each other during a specific scene, we're like, wow, this is, this is still scary. Like, this still really holds up. This is really funny, actually. And this is why, four, almost five years later, it's so important that Drew and I actually get to watch the movies together. We don't often, but sometimes. Sometimes we do. Yeah. And I remember saying to you, just before we get to the 237 scene with the, with the decapitated lady... I was like, you know, when I watched this last time, one of the things I remember is uh, I think some of the effects in that scene have aged a little bit. I was like, I think it's probably the only thing I can remember feeling like right. it wasn't that great. You're like, really? <laughs> the scene starts, we're watching, and then as it's happening, both our jaws are like dropped, and I'm looking over at him. And he's like, looks, uh, <laughs> looks pretty good to me. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah, it's really good. <laughs> I was like, ah. Yeah, like it starts with like the boils on her back oh. and like everything, her face, and then the other lady in the bathtub. Like there's just, there is something so incredibly unsettling about that scene and that's something that Kubrick has always done so well especially when you look at like clockwork yes he is so good at making these unsettling scenes and that is like I think the woman in the bathtub is the most unsettling thing in the whole movie I think that her her like rising like in and out of the water yeah like her eye and the laugh that's happening like everything terrifying yeah and she's inspired by an actual woman who died in the bathtub in that room in real life the room that you stayed in yeah like I don't was, know how you did it. There I don't was, know like, there why was like a gas leak it. in the bathroom, and she like blew up. She blew up. Yeah, like exploded. I think so. Or like, okay, and you wow. wanted to stay in the room, you, and you yes. did. You take a bath. I did not take a bath. Yes, no. you did. I, yes, you I, did. I, <laughs> I took a shower at the spa across the street. I saw your snap that Snapchat story. You were like bath bomb. <laughs> uh... Okay, so that's yours. That's a good one. I think it's got. Yours? I think it's got to be my oh shit moment. I mean, to be honest with you, like, that's. I'm glad we changed it from fist pump because yeah. I do feel like my oh shit moments actually had almost more to do with my wonder of like watching this movie and like what it was achieving visually than even like being scared. Mm-hmm. But if we're gonna go with a specifically like freaky moment, yeah. it's definitely that scene. And it was like. Especially because I went into it expecting it to not be as good, having recently right. watched the movie. I, I know. As soon as you said that, I was like, huh, maybe he's right. And then yeah. I was just like, no. What and, about- th- and throughout the whole movie, Drew kept that, because we were kind of stoned. This is my bedroom. <laughs> no. Drew kept trying to be like, he like, this is where the sex scene happens. And, and, I, and, and, and I was like, and I was like, I don't remember there being a sex scene. I like, didn't say it at first. And then like, he was like, yeah, it's really intentional. It's a weird scene. You know, it's like Shelly and Jack. And I was like, huh. And then, and then, like, and then I was, three times. And then, like, 20 minutes later, I was like, there's no sex scene in this movie. Like, no, it's coming right after the staircase scene. Right after she hits him in the head, they have a quick rekindling. Uh, <laughs> like, it's so weird that he sits on the knife. <laughs> it's horrible. Uh, do you have an oh shit moment, Brandon? Yeah, I think for me, uh, my oh shit moment in this movie is when Shelley Duvall goes to Jack's typewriter and sees... Yeah, that's the, mine. Yeah. It's so good. You know, yeah. All work and no play makes Jack a dull boy just over and over and over. And, and I love hundreds how... Hundreds of pages. Yeah, hundreds of pages. And, and he's I been love doing it the whole time. That it's written like a book. It's yeah. not just a page. In it's paragraphs. indented yeah, yeah. and it's got quotes around it. There's, there's, you know, or quotations, I mean. There's punctuation. And there's it's typos. That's what I love. It's yes. all, all of it makes a dull bot. Bot, 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 yeah. bot boy. Yeah. yeah, he's like doing it so much. He's doing it fast and he's missing letters and it's like that. That's just wonderful. That, yeah. I have a weird 
thing with that moment in movies, the yeah. unveiling of the crazy, yeah. that I just love. I love it so much. That even on the level of like Fight Club and him going back to all the locations, yeah. it's the same thing. I think there's a moment in Secret Window, which is like not a good movie with Turturro <laughs> and Depp, but like there's one of those moments where you find out the whole thing is, spoiler alert, is like him being crazy. Well, I think also the the uh, the one that comes to mind for me all the time is that it's referenced in MacGruber, obviously, but it's the mm-hmm. American Psycho one. Right. She's looking at the book. Yeah, yeah, she sees. Yeah, and then, so, yeah, yeah. I love those moments, and it's done so well in this one. It's in in the shots in that room are unbelievable in the study. Yeah, it is really cool that it's such a big room, mm-hmm. um, and they make reference to it several times. And, and then he, I love when he's like, "If I'm, if you hear me in here, don't come in." And then you like see the at one mm-hmm. point. You see, like, the wide from the top of the stairs at one point, and it's just this massive, yeah. massive room. And he's at this long, wide desk, and it's like, if he, anything other than being a complete psychopath, this would be the most, like, beautifully effective way to be a, a writer in the world. Like, if, like, how could you get a better location than, like, all the space and this incredible... And he's just going nuts. He's going absolutely passionate. Yeah, I... That scene, for me, is the one. It's so you guys take, have the same one. Yeah, yeah. I was, I was going to do the 237, and it, it does still freak me out, but the book... For some reason, when we just watched it the other day, that that was the moment that got me. I also think, and maybe Brandon just sounds like you, you know some of the behind the scenes on this, but I wonder how many times they shot the blood out of the elevator moment. Like, I wonder yeah. how many times, because it's obviously practical, mm-hmm. and obviously, like, the camera is low, because you need, like, the camera being, like, covered in blood, so, like, that's a thing, that's an effect. Is it scaled down, maybe? I don't know. What, I think it might be. I mean, that's a lot of It blood. feels like it would have to be. I mean, the film physics of all the blood in the yeah. elevator. <laughs> well, also, because then there's, like, the... vast amount of pressure. There's the later shot, too, where you have, um, like, at, like it's when the camera's kind of covered, and you see, like, the chairs and stuff mm. floating in the blood. Yeah. You know? Like, to get all of that accurately in a way that would actually like look cinematic like it mm-hmm. looks so perfect to control that you would have to think he would have to shoot that m- like multiple times and his white walls with like i don't know how you would do it unless you were just going to destroy and rebuild the set over and over again so maybe it is scaled down but i mean that's one of the yeah. things about this movie well, that he, was go well, ahead you'd be crazy enough to do that <laughs> one of the things i was i was thinking about because you know there's that incredible overhead shot of the maze mm-hmm. and some of the stuff in this movie is so particular visually it almost feels like it is just CGI, but you know it's not. And right. it's, it's almost mm-hmm. more impressive. It's almost more impressive uh, to have done it then than it would be now, because you could make it look just as good now, completely fake. You know that somebody could do that. Well, I mean, that's where you go back, and that's why people still talk about the movies from the 40s and the 50s with so much respect. It's like even this being made in 1980, you, you remember, this is all practically shot. It's all on film. You look at the editing, and that's done like this. You know, it's not on a computer anymore. You don't have the, the opportunity of scrubbing or the luxury of scrubbing back and forth. Like, that's what makes these so impressive and Oh yeah, the, there's the shot of him looking over the maze. Which also that maze, the, 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 all the shots in the maze in the be- early on with Shelley and Danny, yeah. and then at the end with Danny and Jack are horrifying and and just so amazingly shot. Yeah, I, I should sorry rephrase my statement because I realized what I said is obvious. Obviously, it's more impressive that it was made then. I'm, I guess what I'm saying is it feels less impressive to watch now than it probably did 20 years ago. Because 20 years ago, you probably couldn't effectively create that stuff with CGI. Whereas you know today you could. Right. So a kid today watching The Shining, if they're not under- they are not don't understand like practical effects and filmmaking, they might watch this and miss just how incredible it actually is. Mm-hmm. I think that's like sort of... 20 years ago, probably watching this movie, I feel like people's jaws... That's probably why it has become this enduring piece of film history. Um, 
it really feels like more so than any other Kubrick movie. I, but I want to have that conversation when we get to Kubrick. So I yeah, think, so let's let's talk about Jack. Let's talk about where Jack was in his career. He's already a superstar at this point. He's the only guy that Kubrick wants to play this role, and we'll talk about the other people that that were kind of vying for the role when we get a production development. But Jack's already a superstar. He's already done so much at this point. And the three most recent movies he's done is Going South in 78, The Last Tycoon in 76, and Missouri Breaks in 76. But he's already done Easy Rider. He's already done uh, uh, was, uh, Chinatown. Chinatown, Cuckoo's Nest. Mm-hmm. He In the late 60s, he starts to pick up a little bit of steam. He's getting some smaller parts. By 71, he does like five easy pieces. Then he's like follows up. His entire 70s is basically like it's like five easy pieces and Chinatown and Easy Rider and uh, One for the Cuckoo's Nest. And, and some of these movies like... And he does the last detail in there. The last tycoon, I want to say, is the, is the final. It's like the final, like Elia Kazan movie, maybe. Um, sure. I think is like what the last tycoon is. He's like he's at, at the point that he makes this movie. He's so famous as and respected as an actor. It's like a different level. Like mm-hmm. he he already has won his Oscar in '75. You know he gets nominated. I think the same year as as this. Maybe no, it's the next year he gets nominated for Reds. I think he has like seven Oscar nominations at the point that this movie's made. So crazy. You know, like. And in 1980, like, there was no internet. There was no... When you were a movie star of his level in 1980, you were, like, a, in a singular class of movie star. It's like, you know, you got to imagine that he and Pacino and De Niro, they're all, like, looking at each other's, like, press clippings. I mean, like, right. wow, oh, he made The Shining. That's impressive. And Jack's <clears> being <throat> like, wow, Godfather Part Two. That's what an incredible movie that is. You know, I would have loved to be... You know, Warren Beatty. These guys were all looking at each other just, like, probably in awe of the work they were doing. And it just feels like a different time in filmmaking. He was as famous as you could be. Ryan, do you uh, is there a chance you can maybe pull up uh, Shining BTS Jack preps for bathroom? Maybe maybe try that and see if we can find it real quick. It should be a pretty short little tidbit, but it's it's pretty badass to watch. Shelley uh, Duvall on the other side of it, she'd done Three Women in '77, Annie Hall in 1977, and Buffalo Bill and the Indians or Sitting Bull's History Lesson in 1976. Um, I don't really know Shelley Duvall that well. I've, I've watched a handful of her movies. She's never been someone that I've been, like, obsessed with or, like, I, I just don't know her. I just don't really know her filmography very well. I, I only know a few. I mean, I've seen Annie Hall. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, isn't she in Popeye? Isn't yeah, that she? was, like, yeah. the same year as The Shining. Yeah. yeah. What's her... She's, uh... What the hell is... Uh, what? Pop- Popeye's girl. Oh, Olive Oil. Olive Oil. There yeah. you go. Glad I... Idiots. Idiot! I'm the best Swordon <laughs> player in the world. <laughs> Um, you just got TKO'd on your own show. <laughs> Whammy! Uh, Jake Yagavetta said really quickly, the article I'm re- looking at says they spent weeks and weeks working on the Bloods look, and they poured out hundreds of gallons of it for shooting over and over because Kubrick was so nervous. Uh, it's basically just like they had to make sure that it looked perfect. Because so, it could so easily look not right enough or yeah. too watery or, you know. And uh, Oh, is this it? Maybe, yeah. I this think this is it. it. Let's, let's this watch this it. real quick. How long is it? Uh, it's short. Yeah, let's let's check this out. I can have you over too. So he's just walked from his makeup room into the bedroom. Come on, come on. Murder kill. Almost takes out the AD. And that's it. Yeah. Isn't that so awesome? Just to see him for like 30 seconds right before he goes into it. Yeah, that's wild. 
it's wild too because it's like again it's like you hear about i think i talked about this on the show last week right the the heath ledger michael jai white uh, thing. you talked about it on the action guys i think yeah and it's like the whole idea that people create this mythos behind certain performances of like you know changing people's lives or you know going crazy because of it. and i don't i don't doubt it i mean to, to get into character for certain things like your brain does go to a place you yeah. heard michael b jordan talk about playing uh what the hell's his name from Fruitvale? Black Panther. Killmonger. Oh, Killmonger. Killmonger and how it put him in a really, really, really dark, hateful place and then he had to go see a, like a therapist to kind of work out that. And I, I think I I think I understand what it is because whether or not like you're affected in all aspects of your life when you've gone to that place, it's not like ordering your coffee, you're gonna like attack the person behind the counter. Right. But it's more like when you sit down, where does your brain go? What are you thinking about? What right. are, you just, know? It goes deeper and deeper and darker and darker. And that's why I think it's like cool to see you can come out of it and be joking if you're Heath Ledger with Michael Jai White, but it doesn't change the fact that probably Lupita Nyong'o in 12 Years a Slave was the one that I heard about. She's, she would, I remember reading an interview where she was like, I would literally go to my hotel room and just cry. Right. Uh, I would just, she's just like, I was just so upset. And, you know, and like, I, I get it, you know, especially when you're doing takes like this, mm-hmm. probably, right? You wonder what Jack was like at the end of filming. Yeah, yeah dozens of takes of yeah. that. Of the, of the, he's probably yeah. exhausted, honestly, yeah. more than anything. I bet this was so incredibly exhausting to film. So, um, that actually, this is a good moment for us to talk about something that you had talked about at the top of the show, and that's something that we want to start doing on Patreon. Yeah, yeah. So patreon.com slash teamaction. It's a, it's a place you guys can go if you want to interact and support with kind of the the biggest fans, if you will, of the show. Uh, the show's the brand. You know, we have this thing, Action mm-hmm. Industries, that we do. Brandon is uh, the associate producer on this show and one of the, uh, you know, the, the, the senior staff members of Action Industries. And uh, we wanted to start doing something that was kind of exclusive for the patrons, a piece of content. And so on Sunday nights, every other week... We're going to start something where we're kind of kicking around names right now, calling it maybe like, you know, Action Town Hall, you know, Action Caucus, something like that. But it's going to be a debate style show where we are going to select three people at the captain or general tier. It's the two of the highest tiers you can be in the Action Army on the Patreon. Uh, One of us will also compete in this little caucus and then we'll randomly select one patron from any of the lower tiers uh, below captain to be a part of it. And it's going to be basically five people doing an on-camera debate-style show. If you guys have ever seen, like, movie fights, something like that, it'll kind of have that feeling. It's, you know, you get, like, a one-minute argument, you know, kind of a follow-up, and whichever one of us is not competing in the argument will actually be the judge of the show. It'll be only with patrons, shown only to patrons. you got a couple yep. hundred patrons right now, so we'll, we'll air this exclusively on YouTube and send you guys the unlisted link, but we're going to start doing it every other week, and on top of that... There's going to be like a point system. We're going to award some sort of trophy or award yeah. at the end of every two or three months. We're working out the final details now, but the very first one is going to be this Sunday night. It will be Sunday the, uh, what is it? The, the, a week from yesterday. A week from yesterday. <laughs> uh, and uh, and it's going to be, yeah, it'll be this Sunday. It'll be 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. I don't mm-hmm. know which of us is competing. Uh, but... You're going to compete. I'm going to judge. Okay. And the topic is going to be what is the greatest Jack Nicholson role? So I'm sure there'll be maybe some people that throw this in there. I'm sure we'll maybe see some Chinatown. Uh, on the chat last night, there was there was like at least 12 different roles thrown yeah. out. People said Joker. Some people said Chinatown. Some people said him responding to Kathy Bates in the hot tub in About Schmidt. <laughs> in about Schmidt. That was actually Probably, just that you. That was just me making that joke. <laughs> Make it again. Um, but uh, it's, we're really excited about it. Obviously, we're always trying to find ways to interact with patrons more, and this feels like a really, really fun thing. Um, I can't wait to perform in this. Yeah. I can't wait to be a part of it. And uh, there's been a lot of excitement from the Patreon community. So get hyped. Uh, if you want to go and find out more about it, go join the Patreon, patreon.com slash team action. Um, we're going to be sending out solicitations to all patrons probably today. Uh, asking who wants to be a part of the very, very first um, state of the state of the action action state of the hall. action union caucus town Something. hall, <laughs> Something uh, like that. but yeah, check it out patreon.com slash team action, and we're going to be doing that this coming Sunday. Back to the shining and production development 
Brandon, maybe you should do this since you're the one that pulls it. Do you uh, want to, or do you want? Do you want? Would you like to? Oh, I don't know. This one was kind of sloppy. You know? <laughs> I'll do it then. I'm gonna I'm reading. Through. You're fired. <laughs> Rooting through the slop. So, uh, as we talked about at the top of the show, uh, Kubrick was really unhappy with Barry Lyndon's lack of success, and he figured that he needed to make a movie that was going to kind of bring him back to the forefront, bring him back to popularity with the general audience, and he wanted to do a horror movie. So he locked himself in his office with hundreds and hundreds of horror books, and uh, his secretary actually would tell stories about him sitting in there, and she'd. Well, she would be sitting in her office, and she'd just hear these thuds of these books hitting the wall of this rejection pile over and over and over. And then one day, she realized it was it was uncharacteristically quiet in Mr. Kubrick's office. And she walks in, and she finds her boss deeply engrossed in The Shining. And he immediately wanted to make this movie. He wanted Jack Nicholson to be Jack Torrance, but there were a few other actors out there. And I love this list of people. It, De Niro was the first one up who, who claims the film gave him nightmares for a month. I think De Niro could have done it. I'm glad that he didn't. And yeah. it, I think it would have been too much like what we'd already seen out of Jack. Or, he won uh, his Oscar of, of literally the same year for playing for, for playing Jake LaMotta in Raging Bull. So right. he was committed to something else. But And then we game. got Robin Williams, which I love. I love Robin. I think he would have been a little too young to do it at the time. Yeah. Uh, and maybe not even an age, but as an actor. I think he might have been a little bit too young. Uh, and then the last one is Harrison Ford, which... I just don't know if Harrison actually has the acting chops to do this. I know that sounds crazy because everyone loves him, but how many times have you watched a Harrison Ford role and been like, God damn, that was amazing. Yeah, it requires a it requires a level to go beyond your sort of everyman characteristics that yeah. he's so good at. He's like way too stoic for the role. Like he's mm-hmm. just like I don't know if he can like go there the way Jack Nicholson did. Yeah, right. Like his intensity is like yeah, my family. Like he can, like he, he can, he can do that in a way that's yeah. very convincing, in a way that's like very believable. Like, Wait, you want me to kill my family? Yeah, no. <laughs> ah, shit. Come out of the bathroom. Yeah. <laughs> I have, I have Danny. Uh, like I don't think he would have been able to go as insane. Like Jack, Jack plays insane in a way that yeah, because he is kind of insane. You hear about Jack. Oh, of course, the stories you hear about Jack over the years are he's kind of a prick and he's totally nuts. Like and obviously insanely talented. But I don't know a single person who's ever told me like. Yeah, sat down with Jack Nicholson, like, had a cigar and just, like, talked about gardening. He was just a really normal, really nice guy. He was funny, you know, didn't talk that much. Like, well, that's why, I mean, you feel like with these these character actors that are of another level, the Philip Seymour Hoffmans, the Daniel Day-Lewis's, the Joaquins now, I mean, Jack, they can't be just completely normal, balanced, run-of-the-mill people. Yeah. Or else they wouldn't be able to go to these insanely dark places or light places, whatever, you know, whatever contrasting performance it might be. But I think you got to be a little batshit crazy to pull this off. I think so, too. I think I think, I think think uh, it's it's a unique performance, and it's one that obviously when he was cast to play the Joker, you have to think there's a good amount of this role that you watch and you go, okay, I can I could see shaping this. I could see shaping this and yeah. turning this into a, a comic book villain because it's pretty it's pretty theatrical. So yeah, that was actually something that you said that I that I thought was a really good point. People probably watched that and then they're like, oh yeah, this guy could be the Joker. He could just be crazy. Yeah, because I mean, a lot of Jack's stuff he he plays he plays that kind of angry thing pretty well. But like, I did, did you guys do you guys feel that he's always kind of just annoyed with Shelley Duvall from the beginning of the movie? Yeah, he is. He, he like. 
Yeah, I think I think he is to a certain degree. Like they definitely have that kind of like a strained relationship. Like yeah. they, they they talk about it in the film how like he's he's an alcoholic and he's quit drinking. Right. And he drank too much one night and he hurt Danny and that's kind of like a big part of the story. So I think like their marriage kind of never really recovered from that. And then going to the Overlook Hotel, it just amplified. Right, because then he talks about it later. He's like, never one night. She's yeah. never gonna let it go. Yeah, yeah. And then because in the car when he's like, you hear that? okay he saw it on the television like, yeah he seems he, to be annoyed with her already just, like his yeah. life he looks like he's just annoyed with his life which i mean which he is he you know he he's running these horrible odd jobs all over the place barely making any money this is like the first time there's a scene in this movie that is probably one of the least talked about but i it's probably the one that when i was watching i was like talk about subtext and it's when she brings him breakfast in bed and he's sitting there dipping his bacon in his like sunny side up eggs. egg yeah as he's like sitting there talking to her, and she's like, I really love it here. And he's like, Me too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've never felt so comfortable or happy in my whole life. And you're like, <laughs> Neither of you are saying at all what you're thinking. You're right. so clearly saying something that you're not feeling right now. And I've never seen something that feels more clear than this. That is the definition of subtext. When, yeah. you're, when you're reading as an actor, you're like, This is what's written, and this is exactly what I'm thinking, and I have mm-hmm. to play this. I have to play this while saying this. Yes. And, like, it's brilliant. It's just absolutely brilliant. And, like, you know, they, they often talk about, like, early, early level acting classes using props to kind of, like, get out of your head so you can actually present, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, I can think about, like, when I used to be in acting school, like, things like, you know, but, like rolling up your sleeves as you're talking. And it kind of makes it feel more natural. And it's like, that's what he's using the bacon and the eggs for. She's like, I don't moving. give a shit about Yeah, this. he's trying to try to sort of channel some of that into his actual movement so that he can just... And it's, it's fucking brilliant. Yeah. It's incredible. Yeah, so. I really love that scene. That scene and then the scene you were just talking about when Shelley Duvall actually has the monologue about when Jack hurt Danny. Mm-hmm. A really, really well shot, well acted scene. And we were talking about how that scene feels like it would be shot today. The exact same way. Yeah, right? Like, it's that, I was, there's no saying how weird that felt. Because there are some movies that I think if they were made today, they would have that scene and it would just feel so, like, preachy. Like, mm-hmm. you, the whole scene would feel preachy. Like, the, the, that that therapist or whatever character is Mm -hmm. would sort of get really upset and talk about, you know, child services and all this, but the whole interaction felt like extremely real. It felt exactly like what would happen if you were in that situation. You can tell the therapist is not really very comfortable. You can tell Shelley Duvall doesn't feel totally great about it. She's like apologizing the whole time. She's kind of making a story up. You know, she doesn't feel great about it, but she kind of feels like she has to, uh, and they don't address it. There's no response. It doesn't come up again. Like there is no child protective services. It's just, that's the scene. And it feels like I could watch that in a movie literally tonight. Like, that could mm-hmm. be in an indie, exactly the same scene. There would be no difference from 40 years ago to, to the, like, the subject of child abuse 40 years ago to today. Which, a lot of social issues, a lot of, like, like anything like that, feels like it's handled totally differently. Uh, yeah. 40 years difference. Yeah, and honestly, a lot of times when you go back and you watch movies that are this old, most of the time, it's usually a relationship between a man and a woman where he is either incredibly... Uh, misogynistic or he gets violent yeah, and, you're, and you're just like Jesus this does not that could not be in a movie today I mean the verdict Paul Newman just hits her yeah. that's a part of the, that's a part of the movie at 82 like Oscar winning movie he just hits like, her it's geez, like why and he's like the hero of the movie yeah <laughs> it's like it's whoa weird kind of gross uh so talk a little bit more about production development and casting Danny. This is uh, this is actually really cool. So um, Kubrick sends a team, uh, sent a husband and wife team, Leon and 
Kirsty Vitali to Chicago, Denver, Cincinnati to interview a pool of over 5,000 boys over six months. And the reason he picked these cities is he was looking for a specific dialect that kind of married Shelley's and Jack's. Interesting. That's like how meticulous. You talk about meticulous, yeah. it's like I want the kid that we cast to sound a little bit like Jack and a little bit like Shelley Duvall. So go to these three states. It's also got to be able to do this thing yeah, convincingly. This thing. <laughs> I, the, it, I'm pretty sure there's the audition tape for Danny online as well. And it's it's good. And, and honestly, if you want to try to find that, if it's something that's a little bit shorter, Ryan, that's something that we can check out, check it out right now. as well. Um, everything else is just kind of about the establishing shots and, and the setup, which, you know, we already talked about how it was yeah. mainly a soundstage. One of the, it was the biggest soundstage at the time. They, they wow. recreated the entire outside, the exterior of the Overlook Hotel on a soundstage, which is, you know, that's when you talk about movie magic. Outtakes of the original opening panorama shots were later used by Ridley Scott for the closing moments of the original cut of the film Blade Runner. That's fascinating. Yeah. That's fascinating. Again, like Ridley Scott looking at this. Hey, Stanley, can I use those? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, sure, Ridley, no problem. I don't know why they talk like that. Yeah, that's cool. Marty Cove was there. Marty Cove was there. (laughs) (laughs) Trincakis. He was auditioning for a role. I could play Jack Tones' role. I said, I auditioned for Jack and for Danny. And they told me, pick your choice. I said, Stanley, listen, I probably can't shoot it anyway. I'm busy. Uh, But uh, I'm I'm working on a project. (laughs) I'm not going to read for this. (laughs) Stanley said, I don't know who you are. So I want to talk a little bit about Stanley Kubrick's career here. Yeah. But before we do, before we get into sort of the full background, uh, we have a, a quick segment we want to play the first movie that made us like a holy shit moment. The first like horror yeah. movie you watched as a kid. The first time you can remember having that like, I don't want to see that again. That freaked me out. That made me feel really uncomfortable. I don't want to watch it again. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember like, I wasn't a big horror movie kid growing up. You know, some, some people were. Some people watched a lot of these things. I, I really wasn't. And I do remember though being like eight or nine years old and my friend telling me that we needed to watch this movie in American Werewolf in London. Oh, okay. Because American Werewolf in Paris had probably just come out, I'm thinking, right around that time. And we watched it, and, like, the movie was kind of scary, but there is this moment where I think it's like he's having a dream, and all of a sudden the guy's eyes open, and he's got, like, fangs, and the teeth are all yellow, and yeah. the eyes are yellow. And it's just, like, a quick insert. But I remember jumping, and I remember it freaked me out. Uh, and that's definitely, yeah. like, the early moment that I have of being freaked out in a movie. I guess jump scares in some early movies, definitely got me. Jump scares, jump scares are still something that I feel like I've been traumatized by them so many times. Yeah. That like, there's so many times in movies I'm just like waiting for it, and then it doesn't come. I'm like, oh god, and then it happens. Like, yeah. god damn it. <laughs> the, uh, I, I do remember being in theaters, and this didn't freak me out. But the jump scare that I always remember is when the alien's head splits open in Independence Day when Brent Spiner is cutting it open oh, with a scalpel. Oh yeah, yeah. Ninety six. I remember watching that and it happening and jumping out of my seat in the theater. But yeah, the American Werewolf in London one is definitely one that I can remember. Like, it really freaked me out, and I like didn't want to watch it again. Yeah. All right. Uh, mine, it's tough because I wanted to go with... So the first movie that I ever watched that scared the shit out of me was actually Terminator. I watched it when I was like five or six at my yeah. at my babysitter's house with, with her daughter. And we like snuck into the basement and watched Terminator. And I remember both of us were like, we should not have done that. Uh, but then the first horror movie I ever watched was Hostel. And that was the moment where I was like, wow, I think I actually love horror movies. My mom had scared me so much with horror movies because she grew up watching The Exorcist and Jaws and Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And these movies had traumatized her. She stopped watching horror movies. And so I was scared of them for so long. The Hostel was the first one that I'd watched where I was like, okay. The Achilles tendon moment in Hostel. Yeah, it's still the craziest. I think I watched probably that movie when I was like... And the eye burning, the whole thing. Like It's like a little silly now maybe. Yeah. So that movie was where I was like, okay, that was horrifying, but I liked it. Yeah. But now, and I've talked about it on the show before, 
Evil Dead 2014. Yeah. I will not watch that movie again. The trailer freaks Every out. time that I, I want to watch that movie, I just go and watch the trailer, the, the Red Band trailer again, and I'm like, yeah, nope, don't need to do it. I just don't need to do it. The like, razor blade on the tongue? Everything. <sighs> There's everything in oh. that movie is traumatizing, and it's done so well, and it's like, the old Evil Dead was campy and kind of silly. Yeah. This is campy. But terrifying. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that that's the one that still fucks with me. I still, every now and then, I'm like, I could watch a scary movie tonight by myself. I'm like, but it wouldn't be Evil You're Dead. You're weirdly scared of scary movies in I a am. way that, that... I am now. You always, like, when we were, became friends, I remember thinking, like, oh, Andrew likes scary movies. I, I, I don't like them. scary movies. He likes them. But I think I watch more scary movies than you do because you, do you are afraid to watch them. I just don't like watching. It's yeah. not <laughs> that I'm afraid. It's like I don't like it. Like, the actual feeling, the unsettling, the, the uncomfortable. You still haven't seen Hereditary, right? I haven't watched any good horror movies in a long time. Hereditary's great. I haven't watched yeah. Hereditary. I haven't watched Midsummer. I didn't watch Mother, which I know wasn't that good. Yeah. I didn't watch either of the It's. Us. Like, so I watched Us. Pretty good. Yeah, it was fine. It was pretty... It's good. Yeah, it, it, it I know I need to watch. Get Out is amazing. That's, the good, yeah. that's like the best movie ever. Uh, uh, what's, what's yours, Brent? Yeah. Well, actually, I just want to say I actually adore Evil Dead 2013. It's one really? of my favorites. 13. Yeah. It, uh... It, I didn't want to correct you because well, you just did. We're family, but um, yeah, no, that, that movie's great. But um, I spent a lot of my childhood just watching horror movies that I should not have been watching. Interesting. Right. Um, but the ones that I can remember actually sitting down and watching are uh, The Shining and yeah. Halloween. Those are like the two big ones that people really talk about all the time. I've been going through and, and watching like yeah. some of the older ones now. Like I watched Halloween. I actually went on Hunter A. Chambliss, who's a member of the Action Advisory Board. He has a horror like podcast that he does. And I watched Halloween for the first time, and then I went on and like did a did a show all about mm-hmm. Halloween. And I like a handful of the famous ones I've watched, but I've still never seen the, the original Friday the Thirteenth. I still haven't seen Nightmare. Like, you got to watch the Texas Chainsaw with Jessica Biel. That one's great. Is it? <laughs> it really is. It's like actually really scary. McConaughey's in one of them too, right? One of the older uh, ones. Yeah. That was like maybe. a question at one point. He's in one of them, I think. It might have been. Maybe it's an older one. Yeah, like a sequel or something. <clears throat> it's one of the sequels. Yeah. Um. So, uh, Jarvi, Richard Eric Jarvi says, mine wasn't in a horror movie, but I was watching Independence Day at the cinema when I was six years old, and the scene where the alien busts out during the burst out during the autopsy, yeah. I fell <laughs> under my seat in the cinema. <laughs> so he's losing his mind because you had the same one, which is pretty crazy. It, I mean, as a kid, when you're that age, because I think Jarvi's about our age. Yeah. It definitely made me jump. It freaks you out. And yeah. then and then Brent Spiner's pushed up against the thing. That is what freaked me out. And he's was talking him being through him. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever he's talking. The fact that he lives and is in the second movie. God damn it, I hate that second movie so much. He lives, he's in the second movie. And don't forget, they use the fact that he's gay as comic relief in the movie. Oh, yeah. He, they, like, decide to just give him a boyfriend and make really offensive jokes. And, like, uh. he, it's like, it's like, it's like, and you're like, what? What? Like, why is this a thing? Everything about that, that movie, movie is terrible. the worst movie that's ever been made in the history of movies. That's, that movie was so offensive and it made me so angry watching it. And I remember, too, like... I can't believe we actually covered it on the show. And I went and saw it at a fucking matinee at, like, 11 in the morning so we could come here and do it at 2 o'clock. I, like, raced across town, sitting in, like, a hot Burbank theater. Like, AC, I feel like, was dead. It was... (laughs) Kind of like here. No, actually, it feels much better now, (laughs) Ryan. Turn it on! Ryan, what do you think of The Shining? We haven't even even, uh, asked you... Ah, never mind. Uh, 
No, I'm just joking. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the Shining is amazing. I mean, every every time uh, when I was in school, they bring it up. We study it. Uh, just just uh, that whole entire documentary, Room 237, I think is such an interesting watch. I mean, half of Definitely. it I don't really – I think it's kind of just – People looking for something that's not there, and the other half it really does convince you. Wow, he was so meticulous while making this film, more mm-hmm. so than I think a lot of his other movies. Uh, it's really, really quite fascinating to watch. I do think that's really interesting to talk about, and I, I kind of want to just do a quick deep dive on on Kubrick's career. Yeah, I don't think, unless I'm mistaken here, uh, Brandon, are you like a super Kubrick nut? Do you like know his stuff super well? No, not really. I think it's probably about the same for all of us. Yeah. I've seen about half his movies. Some of the most important ones I still haven't seen. They're on my yeah. 100 Movies I Missed project, uh, so I probably will watch them in the next few months. I don't love him. I've said that time and time again. I really don't love Kubrick that much, but there's a couple pieces that he's done that I enjoy a lot. Yeah, this this is the one for me that I watch and I find myself like, this feels very modern. It feels engaging in a way that some of the others don't. I've watched yeah. some of the really famous one. I watched Paths of Glory kind of recently. I watched mm-hmm. Lolita pretty recently. Um, seen there, Full Metal. I've seen Full Metal Jacket. I watched. I rewatched Eyes Wide Shut kind of recently. Movie's so weird. Yeah, and they're all they all have like things that are good. Eyes Wide Shut is really interesting, mm-hmm. um, but he really is a director who. Like I tried to watch Barry Lyndon, I turned it off. I hated it. I couldn't. I couldn't stand it. it was you and so, everyone else. Apparently, it was so boring. Apparently, Burnett loves that movie. Apparently, Burnett swears by it. <laughs> yeah, Roca like told me that, but he said it like so disdainfully. He was like, right. He's like, Burnett loves that movie. Like, <laughs> do you just hate Burnett, or does he actually like the movie? <laughs> uh, no, but uh, I, I definitely think he's he has like thirteen movies. I think right. He like the second half of his career, he did so few films. I mean, mm-hmm. he made he made Barry. Let's say he made. Full Metal in 87, I think. He made Clockwork in 71, Linden in 75, this in 80, and then Eyes Wide Shut. I think that's all his movies. Really? That from 1971 until his last film, which he, I think, got part of the way working into AI, right? That's the deal? Mm. Isn't, he the, isn't, isn't that him? Is he yeah, the original he, AI? And then, he was then writing Spielberg it. took it over? Yeah, and then Spielberg finished it. So got it's it. like, from, from, and that's like 2001. So from like 1971 to 2001, he made like five and a half movies. Well, you look at like... I bet it was exhausting. Yeah. Right? Because not only is the way that he likes to make movies exhausting, but then that's always expected of you. And then you've done it for so long. You've made so many classics that everyone's expecting the next thing to be better because you've you've worked longer. You're more experienced. Yeah. And if it's not good, they're going to rip you apart, kind of like what happened with Barry Lyndon. But I just can't imagine the pressure of, of doing something like making Full Metal, making Space Odyssey, making, you know, uh, Doctor Strange Love, making The Shining, and then being like, all right, so uh, you've, you've got still another 30 years of your career left. What are you going to do? Well, right. I also think, too, that if you think <clears throat> about it, like, the stuff that he made in the in the 50s and into the 60s, um, you know, so, like, the early stuff, The Killing and Fear and Desire and Killer's Kiss, like, he made, like, four or five movies between, like, 54 and 60. Spartacus, you know, he makes Lolita in 62, which is pretty like a pretty tough watch it's all right it's fine they tried to remake it years later but like it's not that fun mm-hmm. uh but then in 64 he goes and makes strange love which is like this incredibly iconic very famous movie everybody and then four years later he makes 2001 so he makes two of what are considered probably of the top 25 movies ever made back to back in the mid 60s and 2001 of course in 68 is this visual epic that like everybody talks about is you know this is the gold standard for what you can do with effects now i mean his only uh, Oscar win, I think, is for that movie, and it's for best visual effects, mm. not even for directing. Right. He never won a best director Oscar. So by the time he makes, you know, what we talked about this last five and a half movies, he makes uh, uh, Clockwork Orange in seventy one, and it's like he's expected to follow up Strange Love 
and 2001 A Space Odyssey. And it feels like the pressure to probably ever do something again was so great. I mean, Barry Lyndon's four hours. Like, he wanted to probably... How much did you get through? 45 minutes. <laughs> I, I was, like, a day after my surgery I rented. I was like, this will right. be a good idea. Horrible idea. Well, you watched it recently. I tried, like, three weeks ago. Oh, to... my God. It's hard. I, yeah. it's I will. I will finish it because it's on the 100 movies I missed, but it's going to go in the category like Hateful Eight, where at the back end... I have to go back and do them again. Circle back. I can't wait to get to watch that play. I'm going to watch it with you when you do it. Uh, so we're going to have to breeze through a couple segments here. Warner Brothers produced this movie for $19 million. It was released May 23rd of 1980. It grossed $44 million domestic and only $783,000 worldwide or foreign for a grand total of $45.5 million. It opened third behind Empire Strikes Back, which... Uh, I can't. I can't wish that on anyone. Opening a movie ever, <laughs> and also the Gong Show movie, which is just like that. Just lets you know how much they missed this movie. The how fact, could... like, I understand Empire beating it. Whatever, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. But the Gong Show movie, what? What is that? I don't know how you could like not cut an incredibly, incredibly great trailer out of this movie. Yeah, trailers just yeah. weren't what they used to be. This is one of the few or, movies that I can think of. Aren't whatever yeah it's one of the few movies that i can think of that is this old where you watch the footage and you're like i could cut a trailer with this in 4k right now with new music and it would look like i'd want to see it this weekend like, yeah it would look like a brand new absolutely oh, incredible you wouldn't movie. even need to use music i mean the fact that we haven't even talked about the score yet and the sound design for this movie is it's like a travesty but there's just not enough time there's not enough time to talk about all the great things in this movie uh, it's got an 8.3 or 8.4 on IMDb. It's the 63rd rated movie of all time on the top 250, which that is one where you feel like, okay, that makes sense. I can agree with it. All I mean, I this think... time, yeah. It, it, and uh, 85 by the tomato meter, 93% by the audience. So everyone everyone loves The Shining. I think so. Yeah. I mean, I, it's definitely <clears throat> my favorite of the Kubrick movies that I have seen. Um, would you guys agree it's your favorite as well? Yeah. It's mine, definitely. Yeah, 100%. I mean, this, yeah. is, this is one of my favorite movies of all yeah. time. Yeah. So, all right, uh, we have one last thing to talk about here before we get into the final bits of the show, and that is called Schmodown Corner. It's been a while. It's been a while. Uh, You weren't the winner. Yeah, I hate to. I hate to say it, Hitman. yeah, there nice. we go. Way to go, Ryan. Good. Let's make him feel really. Yeah, that's actually. Can we yeah. do that one again, <laughs> but louder? Uh, I watched. So I watched the match. Um, this is for anybody who's watching the show and doesn't know what we're talking about. The movie trivia showdown is this awesome sort of uh, wrestling aesthetics meets movie trivia competition that we all compete in one way or another. And Brandon is the league called Intergeekdom. It's called. It's basically like Star Wars, Star Trek, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter, all the nerd mm-hmm. stuff. Two to three hundred movies, including all comic book movies. And incredibly specific, yeah, very deep questions. Like I, we are good. I could not hang with you even for probably ten percent of a match. I would get TKO'd in round two. Yeah, it's not even against almost any IG competitor, honestly. Yeah, I've seen a lot of the movies, but it's just a different level. The kind of stuff that you guys work on is like you're learning a different. You're like learning trigonometry, and I'm like learning cursive. That's what it feels like. Those are two different things. Yeah, that's what it feels like. (laughs) It feels like a different game. Uh, So, how long ago did you shoot this now? Oh man, it was like two months ago. Yeah, yeah. Though it's weird because I that for a long time. I remember when you shot it, you were devastated. I remember oh, seeing you day. Yeah, out. yep. Absolutely devastated. devastated. And now that it's airing, you feel just as devastated. It's, <laughs> it's like I have to live it twice. Yeah, we've well, been that's, there before. That, yeah. So, so talk to us a little bit about that because that's one thing that we have we've experienced for years now is when you have to shoot a match, wait over a month to even start hyping up a match that you lost and then for that next month hype up a match that you know you're going to lose how was that 
for I, you? I mean, this whole thing was just absolutely crazy. There was just like so many layers to like this match, like so much stuff like that you don't see on camera. Yeah. Um, you know, actually, Chandru and I only had because of a scheduling conflict, we only had six days notice before we shot that match. Yeah. And we originally were gonna have like a month of preparation time. So um, it was just it was absolutely crazy, like a whirlwind of emotions to go from that six days notice to playing the match to losing yeah. and then having to wait two months for it to get released and then live it all over again. Yep. So do you look back? Because I, cause I watched the match and there's a couple moments. It's a good match. It's a really good match. But you guys said go double, double perfect round yeah. right in the round one. Double Dewberry. The double Dewberry they're Boy calling Belfort. it. I yeah. love that. <laughs> uh, but like, you know, watching it, I, I could tell there's a couple moments where you, you answer quickly. Yeah. Uh, that I was like, oh, he definitely regrets that. I, was I like made watching, a lot of mistakes. Yeah, watching yeah. back, there was stuff where I was like, if you had taken your time on that, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. It just felt like you knew answers that you didn't get to because you, you answered quickly. Am I right about that? That's 100%. Yeah. yeah. Like in round two, um, there was a couple uh, questions that I got flat out wrong and Chandra got the two-point steals. Yeah. yeah. If I just took the full 15 seconds to really think about it. Yeah, I could tell. It might not have been the case. It's brutal. People often will joke about my whole thing of taking my time to the last second. I've said this before and I'll say it again, but the reason is not because I necessarily want to troll my opponent. I mean, it's helpful. (laughs) That's part of it. It's helpful to stick it out and sometimes it works as mind games, but you're afforded 15 seconds. Use them. What if you, again, John Carlos Stanton, you think cat, you say dog, use every second you have. Like, you always should. You so. ruined my life. <laughs> <laughs> and my even my five pointer, like I knew vulture droids. Yeah. Like, oh I yeah. Just, I just said buzz I just droids. Said buzz droids. Yep. Yeah. It's and brutal. It's, it's crazy. Like the moment I said it, I wish I could have taken it back immediately. Oh, I'm. Uh, do you know any? Do you know what that feels like? <laughs> I do. Uh, well, and the other thing too is Chandra played out of his mind. He missed one he question. Played, in the he whole played a match. Game, it was, was a great match. Yeah. Which was crazy. Uh, do you know or can you say what's next for you? Or is it not said because there's the whole nuke happening? Is it just do you have nothing going on for right now? Um, as far as me competing, nothing until next season. That makes sense. There's yeah. a lot. There's a lot of things about to happen, especially with the spectacular. Everything kind of wraps up at the end of the year. I so. mean, so currently, I guess of, of our table, what we know here is that uh, you and I are both in the teams tournament. Yep. It starts airing, I think, like next week or maybe even this mm-hmm. week. Honestly, we got a notification on, on air. It could have been the first match actually aired today. And you. Are I am currently the spectacular. in the spectacular, playing the opening match of spectacular of the singles tournament final versus William the Beast Viviani. Uh, yeah, tr- it's just a Star Wars number one contender match. Yeah, okay, it was today, yeah. and that's going to be obviously a huge challenge. And the winner of that match will play the final match of the year, uh, which will be the Schmodown singles title to end spectacular. So one of one yeah. of us will get a chance to play against Paulyama potentially have that belt over our shoulder to end season six before we go into this crazy nuke situation and, and somebody asked last night on our stream about this and, and i want to make sure ryan do we have five six minutes to go over is that okay sure great somebody asked on our stream last night about uh what would the circumstance be no no, no i'm sorry it was on call to action i did an interview with them last night they asked what would the circumstance be that would put drew and i back together on a team through someone else's draft decisions is that possible that's what i said i said the only way i could think it's of it possible. happening would be I would have to lose to Bibiani. Both of us would have to lose in the first round of the team's tournament. And then teams that we had beaten would have to ascend... I've done easier things. ...high enough that one of our teams would fall out of the top five at the end of the season, and I would not be the champion singles to retain any kind of, like, Dagnino-ship in the first round. Right. And people would have to feel so badly about the team that was not in the top five, because I think one of our teams... There's not enough teams that both of our teams could drop out of the top five, I don't think, though I don't know that necessarily. So what would have to happen is whoever got drafted like as the protected top five pick, 
the other player would have to still be there after rounds like one and two to get drafted by the same manager. Right. That's how it would We're have to We're both going out in the first round. Yeah. Everyone knows that. <laughs> and I, so Top-tier so, caliber players. I said to them, like, it'd be, I guess it'd be interesting and cool if somehow somebody pulled that off, but like, the reformation of team action should be better than someone else's draft decision based on poor play on our parts. So that right. would be like not the way I'd want to see it happen. So but if it happens, it happens, let's, man. Let's hope we do better. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, I also wanted to add that I totally feel what it's like to be a heel in the league now. now yeah. Now that I've gone full heel in that last match walking out with Drew. Yep. It's like, I am getting hated on. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It is, it is absolutely just, It's just the beginning. And, yeah. it, and it's even worse when you lose. Oh, God. Oh, oh God. It's the worst. And so, everybody thinks they can take shots at you, and yeah, everybody yeah. thinks that you're going to just, like, roll it off, because he's a heel, he's a character. Oh, he was just playing his character. I'll be shitty to him, you know? Yep. Yep. But yeah, like, it you know, hurts. <laughs> it really does. I have feelings. Yeah. But no. Um, but, uh, like, what you don't see when that match ends, when they announce Andrew Winner, and it's Chandrew... I step up out of my chair and I t- I kind of stepped to the side of the stage yeah. where you can't see me and I took like a deep breath like yeah. a couple seconds to compose myself because yeah. I was absolutely devastated. Devastated. Yeah. Yep. And I, I did that and then I'm like, okay, got to go back and play the character now. And I did my thing where I go to shake Chandra's hand and I pulled away and I stormed out of the curtain, did the post-match interview and then after all that I shook Chandra's hand and congratulated him because, I mean, he earned that. I've done that, and yeah. then somebody tackled me through a table. That was yeah. my compose myself so I can get tackled through a table. <laughs> compose myself so I can get slapped across the face by a rock scene from a thousand people. Look, you, man, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're complaining about. <laughs> you deserve to get tackled. Those are your two best moments of the year. You're welcome. So, guys, we only have a few minutes left here. Uh, unless anybody uh, objects to it, I think we'll skip favorite line. I'm going to bash your head in. Right? Yeah, that's fucking. That's, yeah. that's, that's, that's the my, same one. That's yeah. my favorite line. Me, it's a great line. I'm not going to hurt you. Yeah. Yeah, let me finish. Uh, yeah, going to bash your brains. <clears throat> so you have a quick AMA question to yeah, answer here. Christian Hestis, he basically is just a really quick recast. Who now would play Jack Nicholson's role? Uh, it's Hugh Jackman. It's not even close. He plays oh. crazy better than anyone. God damn it. You know he, what? I don't even care. I don't even need to say anything. <laughs> and he's so nice. He'd be so like, yeah. you'd be like, oh, he could even oh, be Australian. He's a sweet writer. Let's yes. Let's keep him I'm Australian. Keep the accent. Let's keep him like normal. Oh, and it. he's a sweet writer and he's really sweet. And, and like the crazy in his eyes as he starts to lose it. I was like, going to say Gyllenhaal. Also, which yeah. I would be, but I like Hugh more. He's he's of proper. I want a shining remake. And he's got the strength to like the with the door and the axe. Oh yeah, he would just jacked. do it with his hands though. He would just punch through the door and then rip it open. <laughs> <laughs> he'd punch. He'd, excited. He'd punch his hands through the door and he'd be like, "My name is Jean Valjean." <laughs> uh, Brandon, do you have anyone that, that you scream? Because I also was thinking. Because I always go fastbender in roles like this. It's just like what we yeah. did for years with, with recast. But I was actually thinking randomly that I, I don't think he, I don't know if he has the acting chops yet. But I, I'd see Adam Driver do this for some reason. Yeah, oh, I don't know why. That's Adam cool. Driver. Would I would be, like to see it. He would be absolutely perfect. I was actually going to say I think maybe Tom Hardy has the chops to do yeah. it. But I don't yes. know if he has the look to do it. He was buried right. He does. Hardy, unfortunately, when he plays, I mean, he just, transforms though. So, but he, when he plays crazy though, he sometimes yeah. makes really weird choices that are like almost distractingly weird. That yeah. I would be, I'd be worried that he wouldn't play. Mm-hmm. He wouldn't play it like like Jack's almost cartoonish in some parts. Yeah. But maybe that's better. Maybe Hardy gets kind of cartoonish. Like Venom's a good example of him trying to be crazy and almost getting too weird. Mm-hmm. That I just wonder if it would take away. So uh, it's a great question, Christian. Thank you so much. Yep. Christian has been a patron in the past. Um, so thank you so much for your support over the years. Uh, three categories, totally ridiculous, totally legitimate, and ridiculously legitimate. For me, this movie is totally legit. It's just it's just too terrifying and beautiful to be anything other. Yeah. It doesn't feel like anything is unintentional. It feels like everything is so completely intentional. 
How you feeling? Yeah, I, I think I have to be inclined to agree. I mean, I almost want to go middle category because it is like ghost haunted house mm-hmm. type situation, you know, talking to imaginary friends that may or may not actually be there. But I think the film just takes itself so seriously and everything is so deliberate. I think yeah, you have to go totally legitimate. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think if I think if this movie doesn't take itself seriously, then it kind of loses all of its oomph. So uh, yeah, I'll go totally legit as well. So there's only one last thing to talk about on the show today, and that's called <laughs> the bitch. Are you the, are eagle. you the bird now? Yeah. I love it. <laughs> it's a bald eagle. It's not a bird. Well, oh, does that frighten you? Ooh. <laughs> uh, so uh, next week we're going to do a Terminator Dark Fate. Which I'm stoked. I'm really pumped. I actually, it makes me want to see it again. I, I, I honestly just want to watch it again. Yeah, because Drew and I saw it on Monday. Um, but uh, we will be talking about it. I just saw on Twitter while we were doing the show they canceled the premiere because of the LA fires. Oh, uh, what a no, bummer. There will be no premiere tonight. Um, so, you know, it is it is awesome. I can tell you guys that we really enjoyed it. You can go see our, yeah. our quick first thoughts review is actually on our YouTube Action Industries. We do those. We'll be doing one tonight for the film Knives Out. We'll be going to see that tonight and doing a quick first thoughts review. Yeah, I hope it's good. It looks, like, uh, looks like modern Clue. So yeah. we'll see what happens there. Uh, but Dark Fate is sweet. Get excited. Get excited for a Terminator movie. We might even do a quick, because uh, I talked to Eddie Green, who hosts the Terminator 101 podcast. Okay. He's been getting a lot of Terminator vets on this podcast. Mm-hmm. I talked to him about doing maybe like a quick little five minute first thoughts we can maybe play on the show because he's been a long time fan of the show and this okay. is the only Terminator that's come out since we've started the show so hopefully we'll get that on the show and last but not least a quick general shout out to <clears> all <throat> of the generals in the army starting with our brand new five star general Jeremiah Morris Secondly, Miss Movies, our other five-star general. And then we have our first household general in yes. Alex McFarland and Lucas, my best friend in the world, Shashek. They're the very first house- gonna be pissed. household general. So salute to you three for four, three and a half, whatever you want to call each other. And uh, one last brand new general is Cody Seal. Yeah. Who uh, we interacted with last week on the chat. He's a brand new general as well. So Cody and Seal. Cody's in the chat. So Cody, big time salute to you. Thanks for big showing time. up today. Thanks for being a patron. And then uh, there's the other list. The other list of all the generals. Andrew Hayes, Paul Denuzio, Billy Belford, John Getz, John Patterson, Jake Yacoveta, Kyle Grandin, Eddie Kelsey, Kirkland, Mac Ryan, Nick Gilmore, Kyle Hilbert, Tamor Buddha, AJ Lancaster, Sari Laman Maki. Wow. And that's everybody. That's everyone. That's the whole cast of generals. You guys are amazing. Thank you all so much for supporting the show. Thanks for being here with Brandon. Thank you for coming today. Thank you, Brandon. The hot man, Brandon. See you next week, guys. Bye. From producers Maria Menounos, Kevin Undergaro, and the entire Popcorn Talk Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. 